After a dismal day for Novak Djokovic yesterday, the news continues to come with Ash Barty announcing that she will not compete in Europe in the 2020 WTA season, meaning that she won't be able to defend her French Open title. All that and more on Breakpoint Podcasts today. Val Verbo here with you. Remember, you can follow us at Breakpoint Pod on Twitter and Breakpoint Podcasts on Instagram and Facebook. And Joel Ferrucci joins me on the other line, the man who this show, well, this show wouldn't be this show without this man. Joel Ferrucci, how are you? Uh, I'm good, Val Febo. Um, it also wouldn't be the show without yourself, mate. But um, no, look, on as well as possibly can be. Um, admittedly, though, um, despite the fact that I'm really enjoying the US Open, it really sucked to hear that Ash Barty might be heading over to the European swing to defend her role in Garros crown. But um, you know what? I mean, who can blame her? Um, really just cannot begrudge any player, I don't think, for prioritising their health over, over their profession. And as much as we would have liked to have seen Ash back on court. Um, yeah, you know what? Completely respect her for her call. 100% me too. And uh, like, look, it's the rankings aren't going to affect anything. Like she's going to keep all the points from that to- that tournament. And it's, yeah. and health concerns. But the, look, let's read the statement of what Ash Barty actually said this morning. And she, um, she put this out on social media. It's been a difficult decision to make, but unfortunately I will not be competing in Europe this year. Last year's French Open was the most special tournament of my career. So this is not a decision I have made lightly. There are two reasons for my decision. The first is the health risks that still exist with COVID. The second is my preparation, which has not been ideal without my coach being able to train with me due to the state border closures in Australia. I wish the players in the French Federation all the best for a successful tournament. I now look forward to a long pre-season in the summer in Australia. It's been a challenging year for everybody. And although I'm disappointed on a tennis front, the health and well-being of my family and my team will always be my priority. Thank you to my fans for your continued support. I can't wait to play for you again. And we're going to chat about this more with Adam Peacock a little bit later. Fox Sports journalist for the tennis and the A-League does a wonderful job. He's going to jump on with me and you, Joel, and we'll chat a bit more about this. But what I took from that is that why couldn't the world number one get Craig Tizer up to Queensland to, to train her? If 400 mm-hmm. AFL players can go up, why can't Tizer? It's an absolute joke. Yeah, so obviously we're not we're not privy to the you know the, the politicking, but um yeah to paint the picture for any uh, overseas listeners that might be tuning in as to the situation with within Australia, basically um, uh, Queensland, which is where Ash Barty uh, is based, their borders are currently shut to New South Wales and Victoria, which are essentially uh, the two major major states in Australia, and as you were just uh, referencing there, Val. About 400 officials, players, um, loved ones of AFL players who are currently based in Queensland. Basically, the whole competition has moved there to actually go ahead. They've all gone up to Queensland basically all in one go and are going to be based there now after uh, a period of quarantine. So they've been allowed into Queensland, but uh, Craig Tizer um, hasn't, essentially, is the straight and narrow of the story. And I guess, look, clearly... The AFL, you know, have have done a lot of work with the Queensland government. There's been a lot of dialogue, uh, and this has been going on for a number of months. It's nothing new, but when you look at it in this in the sense that this is is one guy trying to get into the state, uh, and and then when you look at the fact that 400 plus people have been allowed in, um, you know, again, we can't be sure of. Um, the reasoning, the discussions that have gone on, uh, any any health advice that's that's been brought up by relevant people, but from the outside looking in, it, it really is quite staggering that uh, that he hasn't been allowed to go to Queensland simply to be uh, with with Ash Barty and, and and to work with her. I, I think it's um yeah, I, I think it's it's quite disappointing actually, um, and I guess certainly one thing that we're seeing clearly. Um, is that you know? I think a lot of people in uh, in the population, where, regardless of where they're from, particularly if they're from New South Wales or Victoria, are, are probably really looking at something like this and saying, "Well, you know, what's what's going on? Are there double standards uh, at play here?" And look, there could be. And we do chat about this again with Adam. And uh, look, I, I'm I find this a joke: the fact that 400 officials can go up for the AFL and and players and alike in the finals and the grand final are going to be held in Queensland. And the state has saved the game this year. But the fact is, 
Craig Tizer is the coach of the world number one, someone in which Australia says that they're really proud of, yet he can't get himself up to Queensland to try and get her to defend her French Open title, which is really disappointing that she's going to miss. But a massive respect to Ash Barty for making that decision and, and saying, you know what, I don't need to play. There's more pressing concerns um, at hand, and that is the COVID-19 pandemic, something that we've seen a lot of tennis players take for granted over the last uh, over the last few months. And one of those players in particular, Joel, as we move to our yeah. US Open discussion, is Novak Djokovic. And yesterday he was sensationally defaulted from the tournament in the fourth round against Pablo Carreño Busta, um, hitting a ball at a lineswoman, collecting her in the throat. And the lineswoman went down, and Djokovic tried to plead his case for 10 minutes, but unfortunately for him, he is done and dusted from the tournament, which, fair enough, the rules state that you're not allowed to hit any or endanger anybody in the court outside of a point, um, whether that be an official umpire, crowd member, or your opponent. So... Massive respect to the USTA for making that call, and it's a tough decision to make, but I'd, realistically, it's the correct one. Yeah, no, there was no other choice, really. Um, it was a decision that had to be made. Uh, you know, I guess what's what's pretty staggering about it is that I would have thought players, especially, well, yeah, professionals, certainly, given the amount of time they spend on court, they spend on tour, surely... And especially the world number one, not least. Surely you would be well aware of of where the officials are standing, where the ball kids are standing. Uh, I think that's the most staggering thing about it, Val. The fact that Novak he was frustrated, clearly just <laughs> I don't know what he was thinking really. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm almost lost for, I'm lost for words. I don't know what he was thinking, but there was no other decision that could have been taken by the tournament referee. And what I like most about it. We continually question uh, whether it's uh, you know things like coaching, uh, foot faults, uh, you know um, sur- the, the serve clock. Would these decisions be taken against these big guys? Certainly, we've seen in the past that you know the smaller players uh, are are vulnerable to, to copying that, and we continue to say that it needs to be an even field. Would the would the big guys cop the same treatment? So I'm, I'm really happy. And that, that's not to say that, that every umpire um, wouldn't treat everyone equally and fairly. Um, but, you know, you certainly have that in the back of your mind. So, look, I, I, I'm really, really pleased that the US Open made a statement here with the world number one and said, no, nah, it's not on. I, I don't think that uh, any one of us, of the players, uh, do this, this kind of thing intentional. You know, uh, it's just the moment, it's just the... He, I broke him the serve, and uh, you know he threw the ball. I think that uh, it was bad luck. No, uh, you know you you cannot you cannot do, do this. But of but of course uh, I think that Novak uh, never never uh, wants to to hit the the line empire. Well, uh, the rules are the rules. Uh, this uh, kind of things never likes. I think uh, well, the referee and the supervisor do the right thing, but it's not easy to, to do it. No? Pablo Carreño Busta there, and very well said by him. And of course, it probably wasn't intentional, but the right call was made. But however, Joel, even though it wasn't Djokovic's intention to do anything like this, he has had a shocking year of blatant arrogance and much, much more. His ego has kind of overshadowed the tennis community and it's about time someone said something. And I prepared this before the show and bear with me because I am hurt as a tennis fan, but let's hope this comes across okay. Novak Djokovic has continued his behavior for long enough. His blinding arrogance has left many dumbfounded at the level of stupidity that he's exuded in 2020. From Melbourne Park to the Adria Tour, his social media exploits, and finally to now, the culmination of his tumultuous year, to date at the Billie Jean King Tennis Centre, defaulted for hitting a ball dangerously and connecting with a lineswoman's neck, ending a 26-match unbeaten run. In yesterday's debacle at the US Open, which saw Pablo Carreño Busta move through to the quarterfinals, Djokovic has yet again showed a lack of remorse for his actions. Yes, he did apologise to the person, but if he was truly sorry, he would have fronted his press conference instead of scurrying back to his hotel. 
Alas, it was not to be. With the 17-time Grand Slam champion opting to use social media to express his remorse, the coward's way out. It's easy to type something on your phone rather than go face-to-face, and that's what he did. Utterly disgraceful. If there was remorse, true remorse, Djokovic would have sat in the press room and taken questions as is his job and role as the world number one and as a global exponent of this wonderful, wonderful sport that we so love to cover. His blinding arrogance in 2020 has left many dumbfounded and shocked at his actions, repeatedly bringing tennis into disrepute and constantly trying to reassure everyone that he has, in inverted quotes, only good intentions. In the Australian Open final against Dominic Thiem, Djokovic yelled obscenities at the crowd, utilised gamesmanship, continued to bounce the ball before serving to ridiculous proportions, and finally touching the umpire's foot for rightfully penalising him. This alone should have resulted in more than the fine that he received. As the world has moved into the global catastrophe that is COVID, Djokovic has promoted charlatans on his Instagram and stated that you can drink the most polluted water if you eliminate the toxins with positive energy, a scientific falsity on epic proportions. He continued by speaking out against vaccines and then came the Adria Tour, his brainchild that aimed to bring prosperity to a formerly war-torn region. In premise, it's fantastic, but it only brought disaster, with he and his fellow players dancing around shirtless, ignoring social distancing parameters, allowing full stadiums, and so on and so forth. Once Grigor Dimitrov tested positive, it snowballed, and Djokovic himself tested positive, but not before he left the then location of the tournament in Zadar to head back to Serbia to be tested and crossing the border. And do you think he's shown any signs of remorse? None whatsoever. To not understand the severity of what happened in this tour baffles me. And it scares me right to my very core that a role model like that for so many can be so blinded by their ego that they cannot admit fault for their actions. It is frightening. Not to mention the new PTPA, seceding from the ATP Players Council in a time when tennis needs the utmost of unity if it's to emerge from this pandemic prosperously. Djokovic exhibiting true megalomania in these actions. In 2016, Djokovic was asked by a journalist about these on-court antics that got him defaulted yesterday, and his egomaniac demeanor brought disdain on this member of the media, belittling a valid question. The answer has come back to haunt him. I'm so unbelievably proud of the USTA for their stance on Djokovic's actions yesterday. It was a tough call, but the right call. There are rules in all forms of tennis. You are not allowed to endanger any player, official, or patron in the arena. The organizers did not bow down to name, and they stuck to their guns in giving justice to a man that has gone too far too, far too long without it. It's about time people realize Djokovic for what he is, and that he's someone that will always be a villain in this sport. He's established this time and time again, no matter how sublime his tennis is, and it is truly sublime. Finally, to those blaming this poor, innocent lineswoman in this matter, it is not her fault, not in the slightest. She was there doing her job. The ruling is correct, and there's absolutely no way that she has put a foot wrong. No way. And to all of the fans that have abused her and commented vile, vile things on her social media, Novak, you need to make a statement encouraging them to stop. Because this is a far broader issue than this, but which we will get to, but this needs to stop. Novak Djokovic has hurt me as a tennis fan, someone who loves the sport and someone who's followed it since I was a child. He has brought it into disrepute constantly and enough is enough. He treats it as a joke and it's far from that. And he's finally riding the karma bus. It's my take. Yeah, no, well said, mate. I think it's, look, it's important to note that RE, the fans, and I, the fact that uh, if this is true that a Serbian tabloid actually went as far as pushing that lines woman's details and where she could be found, I mean, that is unforgivable. That is disgusting. Uh, important to mention, though, that Novak has in the last sort of uh, couple of hours at the time of recording has uh, written on social media addressing his fans. He said, uh, 
Dear Noel FM, thank you for, for your positive messages. Please also remember the Lions person that was hit by the ball last night needs our community support too. She's done nothing wrong at all. I ask you to stay especially supportive and caring to her during this time. So important to mention that. But look, I do agree with you, Val. I think Nick Curios probably summed it up well uh, probably about three weeks ago when he took Twitter and he was talking about uh, up until... The, the default Novak Djokovic was was unbeaten for the year, but you know probably in the broader scheme of things, he's uh, he's taken an almighty L in terms of uh, reputation this year. hasn't really done him, uh, you know, <laughs> hasn't done himself any favors at all. And uh, look at the risk of at the risk of continuing to pile it on him. Um, you know, last week I thought it was uh, you know very disappointing that um, he was uh, one of the players that. Uh, featured in uh, this this scheme that I think it's I think it's ESPN or the USTA. I'm not exactly sure who's behind it, but uh, essentially, a, a players have been thanking uh, um, American frontline workers, you know, um, uh, nurses, doctors, um, you know, therapists, you name it, whatever. Um, on day two, when when Novak was the one thanking a New York City doctor. Um, I think I almost spat out my morning coffee. I couldn't. I couldn't quite believe what, what I was seeing. I, it was just. It was just so tone deaf and, and, and blind. I, I, I could not believe what I was looking at. But um, yeah. Anyway, um, should we talk some actual tennis? Because I think you summed it up well, and it's been a great week of tennis. And I really, really want to talk about what's going on on the court because there's been a lot of good stuff happening. Yeah, I agree with you very much, Joel. I think that we do need to talk about the positives of this week and um, the last week and a half of the US Open. It has been very surprising. I thought the tennis was going to be a little bit um, a little bit less... Qual- the, I thought the quality was going to be a bit less than what we've had, um, considering the lack of match practice and the lack of tournaments that have been held over or since the restart. But the tennis has been phenomenal. Players are clubbing the ball um, towards each other and it's fantastic to watch. And... Um, I think the the stories and the narratives that have come out of this tournament with some of the players that have made quarterfinals and the fact that we are going to have a new winner of a men's Grand Slam for the first time since Marin Cilic in New York in 2014 is phenomenal. And looking at this, it's going to be the first time a player born in the 1990s will win a slam on the men's side. So it's taken a bloody long time, but it's finally going to happen. Yeah, it has taken a long time. So, uh, yeah, look, the men's quarterfinals are locked and loaded. So we've got Pablo Carreño Busta versus Denis Shapovalov. What a name. Some of the Spanish names, just quickly. Carreño Busta, Alejandro Davidovich Fokina. There yeah, are so, so many good ones. And Davidovich yeah. Fokina has become one of my favourite players now just because of his name. Um, riding the <laughs> yeah. Victor Estrella Burgos uh, line there <laughs> and Jose Hernandez Fernandez, of course. But, sorry, continue. Yeah, no, they're fantastic, aren't they? So, yeah, we've got the um, uh, men's quarterfinals, locked and loaded, Pablo Carreño Busta versus Denis Shapovalov, Borna Chorich versus Alex Zverev, and in the bottom half, Andre Rublev versus Daniel Medvedev. Can't wait for that. Ooh. And uh, our very own Alex Dimonor versus Dominic Team. And on the women's side, Jennifer Brady versus Yuli Putinseva, Naomi Osaka versus Shelby Rogers, Svetlana Poronkova versus Serena Williams. Who would have thought that? Uh, Victoria Azarenka or Carolina Mulchova versus Sophia Cannon or Elise Mertens. That one, uh, all those matches are progressing as we speak right now. So that's still to be locked in. But I'm I'm really excited about about these um, these quarterfinals, Val, on on both sides. On on the men's side, I, I love the fact that we've got so much young talent um, in. Uh, in the draw still. I mean, all of these guys, even though you look at someone like Dominic Team and, and Daniel, I mean, they've been around for quite a while, but you look at them and they're, they're still, you know, quite young. Dominic Team, yeah, maybe we can consider him sort of, uh, I guess, more of an elder statesman now, but I mean, the other guys, you know, it's great. We've been looking for a lot of these guys to, to break out for quite some time and this is their opportunity. There's no Novak, there's no Federer, there's no Nadal, as we know. Um, you know, this... This is their time, and this—it's—it's it's a really open field. I reckon it's—it's fantastic. And I'll ask you um, who your new favourite is for the men. Well, actually, you—you you picked Daniel Medvedev. I did. So I did. I'm assuming you're going to stay with him. Yep, I'm—I'm going to stay with um Daniel. I think that the way he played, even this morning against Francis Tiafoe, he killed him. He absolutely killed him. Um, and the man. 
his form on those American hard courts is almost unstoppable. And I find it funny. Dominic Team is 27. He's the oldest man left in the draw. Um, so this is... This is, it's there for anybody, really. I, I don't think the winner is coming from that top half. I think Shapovalov is probably the man that makes the final now. I don't think Zverev's got the mental capacity to go all the way. Um, so I think it's going to be Shapovalov. And I think that, I, I, as much as I love Demon, a Medvedev team semifinal just, it's, yeah. oh, the, the <laughs> match would just be orgasmic. There's no other word for that. Um, but, I do yeah. want Demon to get through, and I would love him to win the title. Yeah, it'd be great. I'm, I'm, I am just. I'm looking at this match between Andre Rublev and Daniil, an all Russia affair. Oh man, I I cannot wait for it. It's going to be so so good. And Andre Rublev, in my opinion, him and um, Roberto Batista Agu would have to be the two most underrated players on the ATP. I think you never ever hear about this guy. Yep. But he has had, and obviously we know it's it's a sample size because we've missed so many months and weeks of tennis this year. But for what we have seen of Andre Rublev, he has been sensational when tennis has been has been going, and that dates right back to the very start of the year in January when um, you know uh, everyone was down here in Australia, and you know we saw him at Melbourne Park, obviously, but all the warm up events too. He was in just some phenomenal form, and of course our own Chris O'Connell as well. We love him. He actually played against Andre. Took a set off him six love, funnily enough. Yeah. But he was, and, and Chris said himself, he was in unbelievable form uh, that day. So I'm, I'm really, really excited about it. And what I'm, what I'm loving on he also played Medvedev here is, too. Yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah. So he's, he's played both those guys and um, the women's draw as well. Val, I mean, I, I look at, I look at some of the matches here, and they're exciting for so many different reasons. Like I'm looking at. Jennifer Brady, she's she has been awesome since tennis restarted. I mean, obviously one in one in uh, it was Lexington, wasn't it? And now she's made a U.S. Open quarterfinal. Shelby Rogers, I mean, how good is that? Naomi Osaka is just on fire at the mm-hmm. moment. Um, Svetlana Poronkova and Serena Williams, the two mums. I mean, Svetlana hasn't played a match in three years, and she's yeah. in a U.S. Open quarterfinal. I mean, she's unranked. That unranked. Is phenomenal. It's just it's it's yeah, it is phenomenal to be unranked. And then she gets through. She's got a $425,000 pay packet. And yeah. this is going to set up her year beautifully now. And Peronkova, she made the Wimbledon semis in 2010. And she's made the French Open quarterfinals and the US Open quarterfinals now. So it's a phenomenal story. But Serena is there. Serena is still going. Yeah. I didn't think she would she's get this far. <laughs> I didn't think she would get this far. I thought Sakari would beat her. She got over her in three this morning. Sloane Stevens won the first set 6-2 against her, and Serena came back and won. This extra day's break that she's getting, unlike what she didn't have, it's it's what she didn't have in Cincinnati last week. But now yeah. Serena has a big chance to go on here and try and do her utmost to win this 24th Grand Slam title. I'm still not sure that she will, and I'm still... I'm still well. I said Kvitova would win. I'm gonna have to change that now because she's out and she can't. Um, she can't come back now. Um, but I think it's gonna be Naomi Osaka. I think her hamstring has stood the test, and I'll be very surprised if she loses from here on in. Yeah, well, Naomi. You know, talking of the extra day break, she's clearly benefited from that. I think if she didn't have that, then maybe a different story. But she's been able to recover, and you know, she's. <laughs> She's looking in really, really good condition. I watched her match against Annette Contevay yesterday, and Annette didn't play badly by any means. Just Naomi was just on fire. I mean, it was it was like Naomi. It was the Naomi that we saw that won the Australian Open um, a, a couple of years ago. She was just in sensational nick. Annette didn't do a lot wrong, so I feel sorry for her because most other players, I reckon she would have won. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, with, with Serena, it's going to be interesting because um, – you know, I don't think I don't think Svetana is uh, you know is is an easy bet by any stretch, and she's proven it. I mean, she beat Gabinia Muguruza in the second round. I mean, that was, like no one was expecting that. Didn't and then just beat after her, that, she smashed her. Uh, yeah, she smashed her. And then and then after that, whether she can beat uh, Vika Muchova, uh, Kennan or Mertens, I'm, I'm I'm not sure. Especially the latter two, Kennan and, and Mertens. I think I think they're probably on paper, other than Osaka. 
Um, and certainly, you know, according to the seedings, they're, they're the two strongest players uh, left in, in the draw, I think. So I think that's a, that's a really big match, Cannon versus uh, Mertens, which is being played um, as we speak. I think that's going to have a really big uh, say on, um, on who, who wins the US Open this year. I think, look, and, and these final two matches that, as we're speaking, they're both on. Azarenka down a set, but up a break in the second. Elise Mertens up a break in the opening set. The opening set between Mertens and Kennan is very important. But, I look, Kennan has the ability to hit Serena off the court. Mertens probably doesn't. But the speed of the courts is what is going to help Elise Mertens. These are fast courts. And yeah. her ability to run, her ability to get to balls quickly and her ability to get to get balls back is going to hold her in very good stead for this tournament. She made the semifinals in Cincinnati last week. Should have gone through to the final. Um, but Osaka pulled out and then came back in. So that's a whole whole nother story there. But um, Victoria Azarenka as well has the capabilities to hit Serena off the court. And yeah, she, does. she is in ominous form. This is the best tennis she's played in about five years. So... We're in for a really. We're in for some bumper quarterfinals. Don't count Jennifer Brady out, Joel. Do not count Jennifer oh, Brady out because she is in. She destroyed Angelique Kerber, destroyed her six one six four. That is not easy to do. So I think we're going to be looking at some really interesting matches on the women's side. And so is Osaka still your winner, or have you changed? Uh, no, Osaka is, and yep. just just quietly as well. Just just before we we move on. Um, so I mean, four American women yeah. in the quarters. I mean, <laughs> the amount of depth yeah. that they have is unbelievable. Well, really, this happened in 2017 as well when um, Sloane Stevens, Madison Keys, Coco Vandeweghe, and Venus Williams um, all made it to the semifinals of the U.S. Open, which was almost unheard of. It was the first time in a long time that four Americans had reached the final four at the U.S. Open. But it's an amazing story. There's so many amazing narratives in this in these draws and. I think the men's draw, people forget that Pablo Carreño Busta is a US Open semi-finals back in 2017 as well. So this is, yeah. he he's no slouch. He was playing well against Novak yesterday. He held his own for that first set. Who knows if he would have been able to stay, sustain that for another six hours. Novak will make you play that long. Denis Shapovalov, blinder against David Goffin. Borna Charic has come over some really emotional wins. Alexander Zverev has just floated slightly under the radar. Who knows what he can do? I don't know. As I said before, mental capacity, not sure. But these draws, the narratives are amazing. And to see a first-time winner in the men's for the first time in six years is just amazing. So I'm excited about both sides of the draw. So you're going Osaka and Medvedev. I'm also going Osaka and Medvedev. (laughs) Um, So we just just keep going the same. but yeah, no, I think, look, we're in for a fantastic next few days and I'm so excited about it. This is the most interesting Grand Slam we've had in a very long time. It'll be the first time that none of the big three will reach the quarterfinals or semifinals at a Grand Slam since 2004 Roland Garros when Gaston Gaudio went all the way. So, unbelievable. Yeah. Just an unbelievable yeah. tournament. And, and you, you know what, Val? It's been said, but it's worth saying again. Men's tennis needed this. It yep. desperately needed this. We need a new champion so, so desperately. And I mean, look, look how much fun it is that we're we're talking about these guys like potentially making the final, like a Denis Shapovalov and you know Zverev and and Chorich and, and and these guys. It's it's great, and you know love love Federer, love Nadal, um, but it's it's just it's really refreshing to be able to talk about some different players and. You know, what they're doing and what they've done to put themselves in, in this position. And, uh, you know, I guess, it, again, it comes back to the, the whole asterisk thing about this, about this event. The, the reasons are just stacking up as, as to why, you know, I don't think, I don't think, well, it'd be very unfair to just say, oh, yeah, this is the asterisk US Open. Yeah, sure, there's a weakened field and, you know, sure, the world number one um, got defaulted. Yes, it's been a, a crazy, bizarre tournament, but, I mean, so much opportunity. We're going to have a new champion. Yep. Young players are in the quarterfinals. You know, guys like Chris O'Connell, guys like Mark Coleman on the men's side, um, on the women's side, Matty Inglis, Lizette Cabrera. Jordan Thompson. Sharma, main draw. You know, so, yes, Jordan Thompson, fourth round. So much opportunity. So much opportunity. 
Yep, amazing. And yeah, we must mention Jordan Thompson. Amazing performance by him to get through to the fourth round. First time ever at a slam. Alex Diminor, big wins over Vasek Pospisil, Richard Gasquet, Andre Martin, and a big five-set win over Karen Khashinov, who he's played two Grand Slams this year, made two third rounds, lost to two Australians, lost in two five-setters. <laughs> the poor guy is very unlucky. Yeah, I know. I feel for him. Very, very unlucky. But let's get to Adam Peacock. And Joel, our special guest on today's show, someone that we're very excited about having on. He is one of Fox Sports Australia's best journos, and he does such a wonderful job with their tennis coverage when it's on. And he's a king among men. His name is Adam Peacock. Adam, thank you so much for joining us here on Breakpoint Podcast. How are you doing? Good. Yourselves? Yeah, not too bad, not too bad. Um, yeah. you're, you're obviously a, a Sydney man, so how's everything going with COVID up there compared to um, our lockdown state of Victoria? Uh, you probably don't want to hear the answer, so I'll just go, we're going okay, but thinking of you a lot, put it that way. Uh, thank you very much. We, we appreciate the thoughts anyways. But um, it's been a, a pretty big few days in the world of tennis. Um, breaking news this morning, obviously, that uh, Ash Barty has pulled out of uh, competing in Europe, citing the fact that um, health concerns and also that her coach couldn't get up to Queensland to train her because of Australia's border closures. What do you make of the decision not to go? And um, how, how are your thoughts on it? Yeah, I was thinking about this last week, actually. thinking It's going to be a big call for her to turn down the fact that she's defending champion. But it says even more about Ash and the type of person that she is, that she's prepared to put her own thoughts and her own family and her own health and her own welfare above you know, going after it, and, you know, she, she can see the bigger picture. She goes, oh, okay, I'll miss this year. I don't feel comfortable with it. I'm not going to force it. I'll be back. I'll, I'll go over there next year when everything goes back to normal. So, yeah, I've got no problem with it. Look, I, I don't have a problem with anyone making a decision of any kind like they do at the moment in terms of whether to play or not to play. If they feel comfortable to play, cool. If they don't feel comfortable to play, don't. There's no pressure whatsoever and you can't have a go at someone for a decision that they make, uh, citing health concerns or worries about what they may or may not be affected by. It's just so much unknown about the world. So it definitely comes down to personal preference. Yeah, well said, Adam. And I think, um, I guess, what's frustrating for, for me is that, and, you know, obviously clearly we're not privy to the decisions being made at a bureaucratic level, but uh, obviously one of the reasons that Ash has cited is that she couldn't get Craig Tizer up there in Queensland with her and in the, in the past few weeks obviously we've seen 400 plus people in Aussie rules go up to Queensland and um, I know as well um, in the A-League as well in the in the finals which you, which you covered very nicely on uh, Fox Sports Brisbane Raw when they came home I think they had to go into quarantine um, when, when they got back home um, from going to Sydney back to Brisbane um, I don't know, I guess it's editorialising a little bit, but it, it kind of seems like maybe there are, you know, rules for, for one and, and not for others. Is that kind of, uh, I guess, f- frustrating for, for you? Yeah, double negative time. I'm, I'm not disagreeing with you, put it that way. It's, yeah, it's rampant double standards on face value, unless I don't know, unless I'm missing something here. It's basically to... Um, one set of rules for an organisation that's going to give the Queensland government exposure and a grand final and, yeah, come to Queensland and good for tourism and all of those things, even though borders are shut. But it's great for the to, to suit the economy. But then when you're looking at a person's personal economy or a person's um, health situation, like, yeah, we, we pay more attention to the sporting things like Craig Tyson not being able to get up there and Brisbane Raw being told one thing and then three days beforehand being told that they could isolate at home, which is all they wanted. They knew that they had to isolate. We're not complaining about that. But then they got told three days out, oh, by the way, now you have to go into the hotel and you're going to be treated like a leper like everyone else coming back from overseas. So it's it was really, really rough. But more importantly, you've got those health issues of people who need essential health services in northern New South Wales who have to cross the border and they've been turned back at the border. And it's just a ridiculous set of circumstances. And to see that them roll out the red carpet like they did for the AFL just stinks of backroom deals and favours being done for important people in important places and the hell with the, the rest of the general population. It absolutely reeks. And for the AFL... To stand and good on the AFL for getting their competition up and going and keeping people in jobs, but for them to put on that press conference at a golf course 
when a lot of Victorians are watching it and they're not even allowed to go outside for more than an hour a day and they're sitting there after the winter of hell and they've put the press conference on a sunny Gold Coast day with the backing of being a golf course, come on. I mean, psychologically, that doesn't help anyone. So, yeah, it was it was just poorly handled, is being poorly handled in my opinion because there's one set of rules for one bunch of people and another set of rules for people who are equally as important. Yeah, and it does seem like that uh, in America as well with this New York bubble. Um, people are starting to complain about the fact that they feel like they're in a prison, but, you know, they're travelling in, uh, internationally, doing their job and um, complaining about it still. So, um, yeah, there's double standards going all around the world. But we'll move on to the US Open. And the Novak Djokovic saga yesterday defaulted against Pablo Carreño Busta uh, in 6-5 up or 6-5 down in the first set. Uh, what did you make of the whole situation, Adam, and the... The aftermath, him leaving, not doing his press, and then the the apology on social media. What's your take? Uh, the, the aftermath what didn't surprise me, that he didn't want to front up to the media. And he, I think he figured, well, I'm going to lose all my prize money anyway. What are they going to do? Find me a huge amount. They can't really do that if they're going to take all my prize money off me. So I know he's copped a $10,000 fine for what he actually did on the court. Um, but he'll probably cop another minor fine for skipping press and he'll be fine with it. And the, the um, reputational damage is limited somewhat because him facing that press conference wouldn't have ended well. I'm, I'm sure of it. It would have got emotional. Um, but the, the incident, I mean, it was unfortunate. It was unlucky. I've seen so many players do it. You guys have seen it as well. So many players do something like that and have not hit anyone. But for it to hit the Lions judge directly there, it was a no-brainer. Sorry, you've got to go. And it serves as a warning. Is it going to change his behaviour or the behaviour of others? I don't think so because it's so ingrained. And these guys and, and women as well, they're so on the edge that things like that are going to happen in the future for sure and certain. Novak was just unlucky and he just has to cop it because I don't think he's got any complaints at all. And he wonders why that the, the love for Roger and Rafa is so much greater for <laughs> what he's got. Um, do you think this is going to give him any indication as to why, or do you think he'll just? Do you think there is going to be a change in his behaviour? Because from from all indications and other press conferences over the years, it doesn't look like he's going to change. No, he won't change. He won't change. That's his personality. You can't change his personality, and especially when he's a bit frazzled in terms of uh, he loses a big point or he's running around like a lunatic and running around so brilliantly like he does. He plays at a he almost plays with a confrontational style, like trying to prove it to himself and to others about what he can do out there, which is just about anything. And that's what's got him into the position that he's in. So I can't see him changing his person on the court at all. I think the biggest shame in it, Adam, is it's probably detracted really from what I think is a really great sort of narrative to this US Open that's kind of underpinning the the quarterfinals. We're kind of all talking about Novak at the moment, but when I look at the men's quarterfinal draw, I look at guys like Borna Choric and Denis Shapovalov and uh, Daniel Medvedev, who I still kind of categorise as a young guy, and of course our very own Alex Dimonor as well, who had a, a great win overnight against uh, Vasek Pospisil and has now uh, chalked up a, a Grand Slam PB, getting himself into a quarterfinal. So it's a bit of a shame, but... Um, you know, I, th- I think, yeah, let, let's talk about Alex Kimmerer. I mean, how good is it to see him in, in that quarterfinal? And the guy really, I mean, as if we didn't know before, he really is just a mini late and he's so consistent. I love it. Yeah, yeah, and that's what he does to, um, to players. And he's he's a road runner. He, he just runs around and gets everything. He, he puts his body in. He's got, probably got the body shape to be able to do that. Like, he's, he's wiry, but he's strong. So he's um, your pound-for-pound pound type um, language. He's... he's He's up there because his power to weight is is fantastic for a tennis player, and he can really give the the ball a bit of pop. So, um, yeah, condition suiting. He's obviously prepared well. He's, he, he didn't come back to Australia. He's been over in in Europe the whole time, and in lockdown, I think we all saw those lockdown videos of him going stir crazy by himself in that unit of yeah. his um, a little duplex or townhouse, whatever it is. But he he'll be able to afford a bit more than that, I'd say, after this tournament, the way things are going. Um, it's just great to see. It. it isn't a surprise that he's put himself in this position. Um, because he's so consistent. And, yeah, the, the field was weakened somewhat with a, a few withdrawals. And now he's got himself into a situation where he's going to have to play an unbelievable three, four hours of tennis to get past Dominic Team, who looks in great nick. But he hasn't really been faced with a player that's got nothing to lose in the sense that, yeah, he's playing at a high level. He knows what it takes against the top ten guys. 
and he's going to keep at that high level for extended periods of time. Like Auger Aliassime, I think he got a bit of a nosebleed by getting to the fourth round and he lost that first set. Then Dominic just put the foot down. So, yeah, Alex has got a massive, massive chance in this and, and Dominic will have to be very good to get past him. Yeah, and certainly I think Dominic's win against FAA really was. And Val and I were just chatting about this um, off-air before. Um, yeah, what, what, what a statement by him. And, uh, you know, he's, he's looking... Really, really good. And with Novak out, obviously, we've got um, a new favourite and we're going to have a new champion as well. So just before we quickly chat a bit about the, the women's draw, Adam, um, who, do you, who do you like at the moment for, for the men's title? I said, I said Medvedev-Djokovic um, final at the start. And I hope I'm wrong because Alex is in Medvedev's half. But, yeah, I, I just think on these courts, and we saw what he did last year, um, with the American hardcore swing, and yeah, he's he looks in the zone. So he's as we sit here right now, he's um, involved in a match against Tiafo. But um, oh, yeah, I, I, I prefer Medvedev to anyone else in the field at the moment, and that does include Dominic Team as well. I think on this hard court, he he has a little bit too much for him when he's at his best. But you know, it's not exactly easy to be consistent at the moment because they don't have like that reference point, strong reference point of six months of hard tennis, the grind that they've been on. It's it's a bit of an outlier, this one. So um, weird results can happen, but Medvedev for mine. Yeah, I had Medvedev before the tournament just to throw something a little bit different up. So I'm glad this is working out very nicely <laughs> for me. But um, on the women's side of things, it's been uh, we had a massive day yesterday with Kerber, Martic and uh, Kvitova all going out. So Massive upsets yeah. there, but the bottom half of the draw this morning, Serena is through. She avenged her loss to Sakari last week. What do you think of Serena's tournament so far, and can she win number 24? Yeah, yeah, absolutely she can. Um, she, I would have said that before the first round because she's she's so good. And Sakari's tricky. I mean, she's she found herself with the, the seeding that she, she has, 15, for a reason. She's a very good player, but Serena just touched her out in that one. I think she has too much. If if she plays the power game, um, Pronkov is going to find it very, very hard, especially on the move against Serena. So, yeah, it opens up. As a ranker, I mean, out of nowhere, she's found form against. Well, not out of nowhere. We know she can do it, but it's good to see her back. And um, Kenan Mertens, I'm, I'm not sure of the result of that one. It's um, happening now, I think, as well. So um, I had Ons Jabur at all kinds of odds to get through this uh, get through to a semi-final, so I'm a bit annoyed about um, Kenan <laughs> getting, the, getting the better of her, um, especially given um, Jabur had the, I mean, ace count, I think, in that match was 10-0, but Kenan just runs around and gets everything. Yeah. So, yeah, Serena's in with a chance, but, I mean, it's a, it's a tight field. We, we could be looking at all American semi-finals as well, so, um, which is a weird look, given everything that's happened in American tennis in the last 20 years, um, but not the names that we're expecting. But yeah, Naomi Osaki had say in that top half, it's it's hers to make the final. But Serena, why not? Mm. Yeah, no, I really like Naomi for for the title. She was she was my pick, and you know, I think, funnily enough, guys, I think other than other than her, if if you and maybe like a Sophia Cannon and a Elise Mertens, but um, I, I love as opposed to the men's draw, the theme, one of the themes of the women's draw is is the mums. I mean, how 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 well are they doing? I mean, Serena, Victoria Zarenka, mm. and also. Uh, Zvetana Peronkova. I mean, she she was probably the lower, the lowest key of the mums to come back, and she just came out yeah. of nowhere. And I, I reckon Adam, she's probably playing just about the best tennis of her career, even before she came back onto the tour. I reckon it's I reckon it's fantastic. It's really really great. yeah yeah. She was it a Wimbledon semi final that she yeah. made yeah once upon yep. a time. I'm pretty sure. I remember her beating. Um, Venus, either at that Wimbledon or she had a big result at the US Open, perhaps. Yeah, well. so 2010. She, she's, yeah, she's a weird player because she, you thought when she started and then she started to have those results when she got the hang of it all, you thought, oh, yeah, she's going to be good. But she's like just gone up and down. So there's obviously things going on around her um, that takes away from her obvious talent. But, yeah, whatever the case is now and who she's got around her um, to help her with her, her new lifestyle, it's... Uh, it's certainly working. Mm. Yeah, it's it's terrific. I'm, I'm just loving it. I reckon it's one of the great stories of uh, of the tournament, both on the women's uh, and 
the men's side. Just before we do let you go, Adam, um, you have a lot of things going on. You, you always have. Um, mm. But, of course, people politics. It's really, really <laughs> interesting. And you've been doing that for a while. And no doubt at the moment there's, uh, well, shall we say there's probably some politicking going on around Australia at the moment. But um, how's, um, how's the pod going? And um, give it a bit of a plug. Where can people find that? Yeah, it's it's available everywhere. It's just type in Peacock Politics. It's on the podcast web, website, Apple, Spotify, all of those regular avenues. But um, I'm I'm waiting to do a fifth season, but I'm I don't want to press go on it yet because there's so much changing. And obviously, yeah. the next series is going to have a bit of a, a, a closer look at what role the states play in Australian politics. Because if there's a time to do it, um, about trying yeah. to explain about the uh, you know the pyramid, how it all works, where everyone sits. It's it's right now because it seems so bloody confusing that the, the federal government government can't jump on top of the state government in certain areas and say no, you can't do this. You're doing this. But anyway, it's um yeah, it's an interesting practice because I don't really know too much about the space. Um, so I sit down and I interview experts who do know about the space to try and explain to me what the hell goes on. So yeah, that's the premise of it. Absolutely brilliant, Adam. And yeah, you can find that on all podcasting avenues, Peacock Politics there. But Adam Peacock, Fox Sports and KO Journalist, thank you so much for joining us here on Breakpoint Podcast and chatting a little bit of tennis. Stay safe and um, we'll chat to you very soon. You too, guys. Thanks for your time. Adam Peacock there joining us on Breakpoint Podcast. So good to have him on. It's been, uh, we've wanted to have him on for quite a long time. So very glad that we got him on the show. But just, Joel, before we do get to our Benoit of the week, we've got a couple of tournaments going on at the moment in uh, Kitzbühel, the ATP tournament um, in between the US Open and uh, Rome, and then the French Open going ahead. The qualifying last night, Luke Saville was in the draw, fell to Yuri Rodionov, 6-4, 6-2 on the clay. Alex, uh, Max Purcell, sorry, defeated by Andrea Seppi after winning the first set, 6-1. He fell 6-2, 6-4 to the veteran Italian. And then uh, in the main draw, we have a few Aussies. Jordan Thompson and John Millman will face each other in the opening round, which I find a very interesting there nice. as well. In Istanbul, the TEB BNP... Paribas Tennis Championship in Istanbul. I don't know why. I don't know why I started reading the. I was reading the sponsorship. I, I, don't ask me why. Um, Alan Perez over Rina Rodionova in the opening round of qualifying. So that's a really good result for her. And then in the singles draw, there's a there's a few people. Uh, Svetlana Kuznetsova, the top seed there, but no Aussies in the draw. But Rebecca Peterson, the second seed. Uh, Charla Buyukache, we haven't seen her in a while, but she's back. She's uh, up against no, Car- yeah. Caroline Garcia, one of the best names on the WTA tour in the Challenger tournaments in Aix-en-Provence. I think that's how you say it. I tried to research this a couple of years ago. Um, Alexi Popperin yeah. has fallen in the opening round to Quinten Alice, uh, 7563. Popperin was the sixth seed. And uh, Chris O'Connell in this draw, he'll take on Oscar Ote in the opening round tonight. So good stuff there. And in uh, finally, Protasyov in uh, the Czech Republic. Mark Polman's got through last night with a good win over Kima Kopejans. And I'm pretty sure he is the... And Alex Bolt falling to Martin Klizan in the opening round, 6-3, 6-3. So tennis well and truly back, Joel, but it is time for the Benoit of the week. And it's a segment where we have to give it to anybody that's had sort of an up and down week, kind of might need a hug, but might have had a scintillating week at the same time. Few honourable yes. mentions. Christina Mladenovic won for calling the USTA bubble a prison, considering she was a close contact of Benoit Pair. But, I'm sorry, Christina, give me a spell. You are travelling internationally, doing your job. There's people staring into the abyss of depression and a loss of a job. You're fine. Trust me, you're fine. Yep. Calm down. Yeah. Who's yep. your Benoit? No, well, no, well said. Couldn't have said any better. Um, should we get to the... Uh... The nomination bell. Um, yes. Yeah. I, I think, uh, yeah, I, <laughs> I think listeners by now um, would know that when this man gets brought up in a negative light on the show, more often than not, uh, he, he finds his way into this segment. Mr. Djokovic. Yeah. Is Benoit number 22. And that's his fifth Benoit. Jesus Christ. <laughs> he's, he's on fire this year. This is something that Roger and Rafa have never done, so he's doing all right there. Um, you know, he wants his legacy not to be tarnished. Well, this is probably going to tarnish it. 
little known podcast he, gets yeah. a ward. He's the undisputed goat of Ben Meyer of the week. Yep. No, he's um, it, it, what a terrible week for him, and I think um, I'm glad he did release a statement about what happened um with this lines woman, how his fans and followers have have come out and and abused her, and I think the fact that they have mocked a post about her saying that she misses her deceased son is unfathom unfathomably vile. Um, it's disgraceful, yeah. despicable, insipid, horrid, abhorrent. Um, there's no more. There's so many more superlatives that you could say, but um, I'm glad he's released a statement. But there is such a broader issue at this, and we've seen it in the footy um, as well with Dylan Grimes recently um, having to um, call on the police to make arrests for people that are having a, a crack at him um, for allegedly staging on on in the footy field. I know we've both got differing views on this, Joel. So we'll leave this because it happened in a Richmond Essendon game. But um, no, well, it's not the correct though. No, 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 not the death. No, not the death threats. I mean, whether he actually staged or not. No, 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 no. Um, no, of course. Um, but no, the yeah, it's it's disgusting, and there's no need for this in any sport, any way of life. It is it is disgraceful. We do not condone that in any way on this podcast. It is disgusting, and the uh, keyboard warriors need to be shut down. And I think they should be arrested. Anybody that's made a comment to this poor lineswoman, Laura Clark, it is it is disgraceful and she did nothing wrong. She was there doing her job. Djokovic hit the ball in her direction. It's not her fault. I'm sorry. It's the rule, and the rule is the rule. Djokovic fans have definitely got their problems. <laughs> we have seen this time and time again this year, which I've been involved in a few stashes with them, but it's not just Djokovic fans. It is a broader issue. We need to stop this. We do. And it just it just needs to happen. But, yeah, we, we move on, and... Joel, I'm surprised I didn't get a Ben Wine nomination this week um, because you've given me a few willy-nilly this year. I'm very surprised I didn't get one. Um, And I know why you're laughing, but guess what? I bought an alpaca. Half an alpaca anyway with my uncle. But my grandparents are getting one, but we've given them tennis-themed names, and I thought we'd end the show on a lighter note. We've given them the names Andre. My uncle really loves Andre Agassi. And I, of course, have named uh, one of them Roger. So Andre and Roger, the two alpacas, you will hear a lot more about them in the next coming weeks. (laughs) And when I get the photos, we can post them on our socials because I'm very excited. I'm obsessed with alpacas. So, um, yes. Yeah. Uh, out, out of curiosity, Val, yeah. how does one get an alpaca? You just research it online and, yeah, just rang the place. And, yeah, they said, yep, we'll, we'll get them to you. So got them okay. for the farm and farm in Sunbury. And Roger and Andre will be welcome additions to the family. I've, I've been obsessed with alpacas for a while now, so I'm very keen in giving them the tennis theme names. We'll... Uh, We'll go a long way. I reckon hopefully we can get Roger and uh, and Agassi to try and give us a retweet or something like that along the way. But, um, Joel, it's been an absolute pleasure t- chatting tennis with you. US Open, big week coming up with the finals, uh, both women's and men's finals o- over the weekend. So um, it- it's very exciting. And thank you again for your efforts today. No, always good, Val. I'm going to – I reckon I'm going to head off and watch more tennis, of course. We've got Elise Mertens and Sophia Cannon. And uh, Azarenka and uh, Machova are still going. So I'm going to go watch that, I reckon. We sure do. It's a very exciting time. Val Febo here with you and Joel Fritchie on the other line. Remember, you can follow us at Breakpoint Pod on Twitter, on Instagram, Breakpoint Podcast, Facebook, Breakpoint Podcast as well. You can also find us on Wooshka, on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, and on Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts from. We are there. So subscribe, give us a like. Any bit of support is fantastic. And just before we do wrap this up, Joel, our Mark Woodford show has now gone to number one in our high, most rated podcast. So thank you to everybody who has listened to that show and shown us some support. But remember, big week of tennis. US Open's going to wrap up. We'll be back next week to review all of the action.